And greetings, greetings and welcome to the absolutely worst gaming stream on Twitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the dividing line. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that's all about, I I had never even heard of Twitch until, I don't know, a few days ago. Um, and evidently gamers use it primarily to show each other. And that's something I've never understood either. Watching... <laughs> Watch, watching somebody else playing a video game. I'm okay. Um, I'd really rather do that myself personally, but if I was going to do it, which I don't anyway. So let's not talk about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're just going, stop, stop, don't do it. Anyways, this is the worst um, uh, gaming thread, uh, great gaming stream on, on Twitch. We assure you of that. Uh, do not attempt to utilize your, uh, your controls to get in the game because it's just... Nothing works. Um, <clears throat> the avatar is an old, fat Scottish guy. It's just, you're stuck with a nice, big, white beard now. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm being called Whitebeard on, uh, on YouTube now. I, I sort of like that. That's something I've always wanted, so yay. Um, we're going to jump right into it here. Um, not everyone is, a, is, is aware, um, and I hope Rich remembers to do something that he was, said he was going to do as soon as he got started here. Um, the fan, please, sir. Uh, thank you. Uh, short-term memory is the first thing to go. <laughs> and it was, it was gone. So it was here. completely gone. Uh, anyway, uh, over the past few days, a um, controversy has erupted in light of the fact that the Erdman's uh, book publishing company, one of the last, I mean, uh, one of the last big publishers it hasn't been, to my knowledge, been bought up by some big secular company. Um, posted a tweet and a blog article directing people to listen to LGBTQ voices. And these are the books that they would recommend that you listen to to hear LGBTQ voices and so on and so forth. Uh, in fact, uh, here's, here's it said regardless of your doctrinal and ethical convictions, Pride Month is a good time for listening to LGBTQ plus voices. Here are some books to help you do that. And then they sent you to a particular blog article on their own website. Well, <clears throat> there was an immediate response, as you would expect there would be and should be. Uh, I, I think I mentioned at one point on Twitter that I don't know why and I could be wrong, and my mom's been gone for 12 years, so I can't ask her. And my dad's been gone since February, so I can't ask him either. Um, but basically, I, I recall, I think that at some point in time, my mom worked for Erdman's. I don't know why I have this recollection. It's weird things you remember from your childhood. But I seem to recall... Uh, back in the early 1970s, uh, my mom talking about, maybe talking with my dad, about the fact that Christian publishing houses needed to have some type of doctrinal standard and that Erdman's did. I, I, I don't know why I remember that. Uh, I wasn't planning on writing books or anything at that point in time, So, but it stuck. And... Um, uh, that goes a long, long, long ways back. Now, I have been aware of the fact that Erdman's and pretty much everybody, with very few exceptions, I mean, I don't think Crossway has done it yet. 
Um, but a lot of the quote-unquote scholarly uh, publishers, they have been busily working on expanding their uh, expressions and, 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 and the kind of, and, and so on and so forth, um, and hence have been publishing LGBT-friendly uh, books and, and things like that. And Erdman's has been doing this as well. But that's one thing. Then coming just straight out and uh, joining in Pride Month, uh, which is our yearly reminder of uh, why God's judgment is rightly falling upon our, our nation. Um, it, it's also, when you think back just a year, just, just think of how, met, how much more that wrath is being felt in our own nation since last year. Um, good reminder. Uh, not something we want to think about, but something we should be thinking about. So there was there was quite a response, and I would like to look at the very active uh, response that uh, whoever is in charge of Erdman's Twitter feed uh, has been providing, because I think it's I think it's important, and I think um, it certainly, at the very least. Uh, gives me the opportunity of going, you know, we started telling you this stuff back in the late 1990s that the homosexual movement, now the alphabet soup movement, uh, does not want equal rights. They want uber rights. That's what we started saying. It'd be interesting. Um, I, I was talking to someone recently. I, I think I was talking with Jeff or maybe Isaac at Apologia Studios, but uh, there are places now where you can you can you know cost some money, but they will produce um, transcripts of all the stuff that you have um, in you know online. And man, can you imagine what the dividing line uh, archives would look like with fully searchable transcripts? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's that's something that we really need to be looking into, and it'd be fascinating if we had that uh, to go back. And find when when did I first use the phrase Uber rights? Uh, because it was a very 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 long time ago, and now we are in a situation where if where we have, we have people clearly stating that if you do not celebrate their sexual perversity, um, that you should be fired, you should be considered criminal. Um, you shouldn't be allowed to live in certain places and do certain things and. Uh, far more than we had even imagined back then. Back then. Uh, well, could it ever get that bad? No, I'm a, I can't imagine getting that bad, but it could get this bad. Well, it's gotten worse, and uh, that's, that's the reality. So we all face this, and so uh, I think I also said on Twitter that it, it seems to me like some recent seminary graduate from a PCUSA, United Methodist, uh, ELCA, um, uh, seminary uh, is in charge of Erdman's uh, Twitter feed because they are arguing along these lines. So let me, uh, I'm, I didn't take the time to make a fancy presentation out of this. You can find it on Twitter if you want it. This weekend, we took down our post because the, overwhelm, well, the overwhelming vitriol was alarming, and we wanted to protect our authors. First sentence. First sentence. Victimization. Play the victim card. 
we're being attacked. You all are mean, terrible, horrible people. First sentence. I mean, that, this is, it's, it's the absolute playbook of the left. Uh, we stand by our eared word post, so we have tweeted the link again, but we think we should offer some explanation. Some of the replies to our original tweet could be summarized as, quote, with this tweet, you have gone over to the dark side. Your company is now useless, and we hope you go bankrupt and your employees become jobless, end quote. <coughs> well, um, I, I would agree uh, that uh, there is definitely a dark side here, uh, and I would agree that publishing with Erdman's would be... Uh, I certainly have books that could never be published with Erdman's, and I'm thankful they're still in, in print with somebody. Um, uh, but I, I didn't see the, uh, we hope you go bankrupt and your employees become jobless. Uh, but, you know, someone might have said something like that. It's Twitter. Uh, we certainly get a whole lot more going the other direction. For those who thought that cursing and reviling would be an appropriately Christian response to an invitation to try to understand LGBTQ plus Christians, we offer no response. Now, here is where... And I'm, I'm not the only one who has been trying to help us to discern these things for a long, long time. Michael Brown, Robert Gagnon, um, many people have been talking about the same things. But you need to recognize loaded language. And you need to uh, disarm it. Um, for those who thought that cursing and reviling... Okay, so you're using really harsh terms that don't even match what was said beforehand. Well, I hope your company goes bankrupt. Oh, yeah, that's cursing. Uh, Okay. Um, Would be an appropriately Christian response to an invitation to try to understand LGBTQ plus Christians. You do realize that that is an argument, right? You do realize that that is now the official position of Erdman's. They are taking a position. This is, this is vitally important for, for our young people to understand how to be able to listen, read, and recognize the presence of arguments, but they're not arguments that are given a foundation. They're arguments that are just simply assumed. And so this is an argument. There is such a thing as LGBTQ plus Christians. So that alphabet, which is completely incoherent, it's contradictory, and so you'd have to look at each particular letter, and it would be child's play and simplistic to be able to go to each one and go, that is against God's word, period, end of discussion. I mean, um, bisexual? Bisexual? Really? Transgender? Queer, uh, how about two-spirit, and all the rest of this wild and insane stuff that utterly denies God's creative activity in the world and everything that the Scripture says uh, about His will, about man being made in the image of God. I mean, it, it's just it's simplistic to be able to do. And I speak as a person who's read far more of the other side than I have ever, ever, ever wanted to. I... I Probably Gagnon and Brown are probably two of the only people that I know of, and there is there are others, but they would be the best known who've read more in the pro homosexual side than I have. 
But I have read dozens and dozens and dozens of books in that field, including some, I'm sure, published by Erdman. Uh, <clears throat> and so I don't say this in some simplistic, oh, we just all know it. No, I know exactly what the arguments are. I've, I've been in print on this. I've debated this uh, for a long, long time. And so you need to recognize there is an argument, there is a stance being taken, but no argument being provided to substantiate that position that's taken. We offer no response. Their self-revelation speaks for itself and it grieves us. So here is the, here is the virtue signaling. Here is the, we're going to put an argument out there that's unbiblical, and then we're going to turn that on its head and make you sound like the bad guys because we've already played the victim card. Like I said, this is straight out of the, the leftist handbook. This is, this is how it is done. And unless we learn how to turn it around and go, no, wait a minute, you are not putting that on me, and you are not putting that argument out there, uh, and you can use all the pious platitudes you want, you're taking a position, and you need to substantiate that position. Um, we need to be able to do that. Uh, for our conservative Christian readers and friends who may be disturbed by the slander of the revilers, <laughs> we want to explain the misunderstandings they voiced. The revilers, so, so this whole, whole screed, is, is, it does not even, does not even, I mean, it pretends to be being balanced, but it doesn't even try. I mean, it is creating this, this uh, bifurcation right from the start because the left has to do that. That will happen tonight um, with the January 6th stuff. Uh, you're, you're not going to get balance. Balance has no, no place in a leftist vocabulary. All right, and it has no place here either. The revilers say we have changed our position and begun to teach heresy. There are several problems with that accusation. We do not think it is for us as a publisher to define doctrine for the church. But as you know, as a publisher, you once had doctrinal standards. And it is not a matter of a publishing house defining doctrine for the church, but a publishing house, if it's supposed to be a Christian publishing house, is going to have, has to have some kind of standard. And you've had one in the past, and you've changed it, and you know that. You're well aware of that fact. We are not the Pope, or an ecumenical council, or even a pastor. Again, empty rhetoric to hide the fact that this is bad argumentation being presented. No one has said the publisher is supposed to define doctrine for the church, but it is a very reasonable thing to say that a publisher should have a doctrinal standard. Are you going to publish the Moonies? Are you going to publish Jehovah's Witnesses? Are you going to publish the Mormons? I imagine Erdman's would publish the Mormons. In fact, I think they have, come to think of it now. Um, but again, if you want to be a Christian publisher, are you going to have any standard at all? <clears throat> what, what about people who uh, defame the name of Christ? Are you, are you going to publish them as well? I mean, but we, we don't want to define doctrine for the church, right? Our role is to publish books, representing both settled and experimental positions. Um, here's, here's, here's a newsflash for Erdman's. Um, sexual ethics in this area is actually settled and has been for about 2,000 years. Um, 
and experimental positions that serve the church in its ongoing deliberations. Hear the argument? The argument is that what the church has believed all along in regard to the Imago Dei, in regards to homosexuality, in regards to Jesus' teaching, Matthew chapter 19, that God created the male and female, <clears throat> uh, we need to be having ongoing deliberations about these things. There can't be anything objectively settled in the past. Uh, these are ongoing deliberations. We therefore routinely publish books that contradict each other on many contested doctrinal points. We publish conservative and liberal books. We publish Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant books. We are not confused. We are a publisher that serves the ecumenical church. Well, there's much that could be said right there, um, except that historic Catholic, Orthodox, Orthodox, and Protestants have all believed the same thing about this subject as well. Um, so that's a little bit of a, well, see how broad-minded we are, even though we're taking a position that historic Catholics, Orthodox, and Protestants have all um, rejected uh, until the past you know, 30, 40 years at the most. Uh, there you go. With regard to Christian understandings of LGBTQ plus people, Erdman's has been publishing books for quite a few years. Notice, a few years, not a few decades. A few years. I wonder when the first one was. I don't know. Uh, I, would, I would be very surprised if it was before 15 years ago, uh, maybe. Uh, but for a lot of these younger folks, 15 years is forever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Um, for quite a few years, by authors who have come to an affirming conclusion on biblical and theological grounds, this is not new for us. Underlying message, we don't really know. And if you think you know, you're being arrogant. Uh, so, Scripture is not clear enough to actually explain these things, despite how clear it really is. At the same time, Erdman's has continued and will continue to publish books by and for people who have not come to this conclusion. This conclusion. I assume that would mean who have not come to an affirming conclusion. Well, isn't that wonderful of them? Since Everybody they published for the first 60 years of their existence uh, had not come to that conclusion. It's just wonderfully open and loving. <clears throat> but Erdman's does not publish books that deny the existence or ignore the voices of LGBTQ people propagate false teaching about discredited-slash-harmful therapies, or in general, condemn-slash-revile LGBTQ people. Oh, you don't take a position, but if they deny the existence of... What is that even supposed to mean? Now, I've, I hear that all the time. We all hear that all the time, don't we? Uh, if you say that God created men, male and female and that transgenderism is a myth. You're denying the existence of transgender people and transgender rights and transgender rights are human rights and blah, 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 blah. All this insanity. Is Erdman's now saying we will not allow that historic Christian position to be expressed? Because that is the historic Christian position. The historic Christian position is that uh, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism are all, whatever, whatever terms were used in the past, are all violations of God's law. So the historic Christian position 
that was pretty much agreed to by everybody up until the earliest the 1980s and really well into this century uh, is no longer uh, going to be published by Erdman's? Sounds like what they're saying. Uh, or in general, condemn LGBTQ people. So if you conclude with Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, you can't be published by Erdman's? Is that what is being said? Important questions. Too much of that has been done over time, and we not want no part in continuing it. Again, it really makes me wonder, is whoever is writing this, whoever is tweeting this, did they run this past the, the board, the people at the top? Because if they did, Erdman's is done. It's, it's, it's become an affirming leftist propaganda organ like all the rest of them have been. And a believing Christian should go, I can't, I can't work with that. I, sorry, um, can't go there. Um, but if this is, like I said, sounds, the terminology is so Gen Z laden with all sorts of empty terms that it really does make you go, you know, what seminary did they just graduate from? Um, it's, hmm, yeah. We reject the tendency to promote division and discord by categorizing Christians into two camps, considering us to be right about everything and them to be wrong. Catch the horrible argumentation. Catch the spin. Catch the, we are actually creating division, but we're going to accuse you of creating division. Okay? Uh, two camps. So, affirming, non-affirming. Or in other words... Historical up until the past few decades, and now the progressive in the current decades. And most of these folks could, could not defend their thoughts on this. If they tried, they don't bother reading the other side. They just, they just do the thing. Um, considering us to be right about everything and them to be wrong. Everything? What, what do you mean everything? On this particular subject or all subjects in general or what? Again, it's it's language meant to create emotion, not uh, truth. We decline to swear loyalty to one faction's us and join their hostilities against all corresponding thems. Again, this is that kind of language. Uh, so we decline to swear loyalty to historic biblical Christianity, uh, and uh, and hence we are becoming hostile toward it. <laughs> That's that's what you've got from Erdman's right now. So we reiterate our invitation, uh, especially to our conservative friends. Oh, it sounds like you're pushing a position here. Huh. Whom we value and respect, but we're really not a part of you anymore. Use Pride Month to read a book by LGBTQ plus Christians. In other words, we're saying that is consistent with biblical Christianity and their allies, blah, 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 blah. As always, our aim is not to tell you what to think, though we just did, and attempted to do so by using really bad argumentation that's really obvious if people actually studied logic today. It is to provide books that we believe will promote informed and charitable thinking. So we'll use the nice words, we just made our arguments, and we just did it to try to deal with your emotions, and hopefully we'll get away with it. There you go. I, you know, 
I, I just can't imagine what my mom would say. <laughs> I really just can't imagine what my mom would say uh, about uh, all of that kind of stuff because it truly, truly is amazing. Now, um, some of you may recall, switching gears, not much of a place there to throw the clutch. Uh, <laughs> I just realized half the audience doesn't have no idea what a clutch is. <laughs> They're going, you clutch your bag? No, it's, never mind. I love those memes where it says uh, millennial anti-theft device and it shows the gear shift of a manual transmission. I miss, I do, I do miss shifting. It's, it's, uh, it made driving, I mean, the older I get, probably I'm not all that concerned, but I, I, I don't remember what the last manual I had, but I remember once doing a leg workout years ago to gym and I had to drive home and I had just fried my legs and trying to push that clutch. I almost didn't get home. It was ugly. Um, <laughs> it was a very, very long time ago. Anyway, um, some of you may recall, uh, and I only have these in uh, this form right here. And I do not know why that's silenced. Oh, you had it silenced. Okay. Rich had it silenced. Uh, it's Rich's fault once again. Just pointing these things out. Um, <clears throat> Remember, back, I was coming back from, I think it was in February. Yeah, I think it was in February because I, I came back through Wilcox that time. And I remember sitting in uh, the RV uh, at the KOA in Wilcox, writing up a blog article documenting how Will Hess um, of church, the church split webcast had just mangled my words. It was, yeah, it was February because it was after the uh, Molinism uh, debate. And remember, he, he just took my words and just ma- made them mean the opposite of what they very obviously meant on any English grammar, lexical, any rational person recognized that he was turning my words upside down, misrepresenting me. And, and he would not accept correction, would not, nothing. And then I think... Twice after that, we did some programs where uh, he and that young kid um, uh, were uh, going after the Potter's Freedom. And just the argumentation was barely up to a standard that it was even worth trying to respond to, to be perfectly honest with you. But I think that was the last time I've mentioned anything about about Will Hess. Uh, We haven't had any back and forth. Because I had been on their program last last year, and we'd had fun talking about King James onlyism and things like that. Mainly because we didn't really get into much doctrine. Anyway, um, the the church split seems to be doing splitting, getting it's good at the split part um, because they had gotten involved with with other former fundamentalists and had had you know, done some webcasts and things like that, and then started getting into doctrinal statements that started causing some real issues. And so um, I, didn't, I couldn't follow all the argumentation, and there was a lot of stuff going back and forth for a while. But a statement of faith was written up, and they just, they just wouldn't even sign it. It was just a really, really, really basic level uh, confession of the basic uh, Christian faith. 
And uh, at, at one point, as they were responding to this statement of faith, they made reference to Unitarianism. And remember, not aside from just being a Molinist, there was, a, there was an openness on his part to open theism. And, and it, we started seeing very clearly that on a, on a doctrinal level, there was serious issues with Will Hess and his, and his folks. And other people who have more time to listen um, were seeing the same, the same things, and that's where all the controversy started with. And so in responding to the statement of faith that they refused to sign, and therefore there was this splitting of the ways, parting of the ways, uh, of necessity that, that had to take place, uh, this little segment came up, and so I, hopefully this will, will work. Let's, uh, let's see if it, uh, if it does. First-level theological issues would include those doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. Included among these most crucial doctrines would be doctrines such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Christ, justification by faith, and the authority of Scripture. These first-order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, as a denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. And I'm not going to lie, I disagree with that. Like, somebody such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, somebody cannot believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and still not deny Christianity in and of itself. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to affirm his deity. Now, does it make it clear that he is? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. But... Now, let's... let's Catch what they said. So what, so what Will has the saying is, the Trinity and deity of Christ are not definitional to the Christian faith, which, of course, the Christian faith has denied for a very, very long time. Uh, his position has affirmed that most definitely the Trinity and deity of Christ, these issues, are definitional. Without them, there's nothing left to be definitional of Christianity. Um, and he keeps going this direction, and Unitarian Universalism is right, there, right around the corner, and uh, just look at what they've been like throughout their entire history. Um, but when you have someone say, well, the Bible never says you have to believe in Christ's deity to be a Christian. Um, and then they say, no, I think they're wrong. I think it does teach that. What you've done is you have diminished the teaching of Scripture on who Christ is, you have brought that down to, oh, Bible's really not clear on that. We really don't know. That's, what, that's what's being said. We really don't know. My personal feeling is that that's the better interpretation, but hey, you know, this Bible thing, it's pretty, it's pretty complicated, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, there's these passages, and, and, and well, okay, yeah, so, so Colossians tells us that, that Christ is the standard of all things, and in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and we are, we are awaiting the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, in fact, we can't really explain how the atonement will work if Jesus truly wasn't the God-man, and we, we, we can't really understand any of that stuff. Uh, but then again, I don't think he believes in penal substitutionary atonement anyways. Uh, so uh, there goes that. Uh, but yeah, you, you end up with this 
vanilla mishmash of whatever theological stuff you want to end up thinking you're seeing in Scripture. But, hey, that's just me. You know, it may, it may not be somebody else. I don't know. Um, and so you can be a Unitarian, and you're just as, you're, that's, that's fine. I really, does, does, does this guy go to a church? Do these guys go to a church? Uh, or are they, we are the religiously abused, we've, we've been kicked out of churches, and so we don't go to the church anymore, and, and that kind of a person? I don't know. I really don't know. But do you go to a church that has no statement of faith? Do you go to a church where you can either worship Jesus or not worship Jesus, or believe Jesus is Michael the Archangel, or believe that uh, Jesus is uh, the, the spirit child of Elohim and one of his heavenly wives, and, and um, uh, just a, a, a great moral teacher? I, what? You, you throw it all together, and hey, we're perfectly happy. Let's just sit down and, and have potluck after Sunday service, even though I'm not sure what you're doing during Sunday service. You don't know who you're worshiping. You don't know who you're praying to. You don't know what message you have for the world. It's pretty much a mess, I guess, but don't know. Um, that's, that's what happens. So, so you don't really have to believe all those things. And then you have this statement. Does it mean that someone's less Christian for it? Um, because they are, because actually, if you listen to Unitarians, they actually have various reasons for why they believe, mm-hmm. and they have ways to deal with those proof, those other proof texts. I have some friends of mine, like I said, that are Unitarians, and they are some of the strongest believers of God that I know. So, believers of God that I know. So, whether you believe God is triune or Unitarian, Trinitarian, Unitarian, those are not they are contradictory things. They're they're not the same thing. So you can believe in God strongly, but believe he's Unitarian, right? It seems, I mean, Will Hess is a very confused man, a very, very confused man. And there are a lot of people that are confused like him. And what happens to a lot of these folks who they leave an authoritative system and they overthrow all authority. They overthrow all authority. And then everything just becomes grab bag of whatever you want. I, I've, I wonder, nah, uh, I was, I was going to bring up, um, oh, uh, rat, I forgot to do this at the top of the program. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the stuff we've been talking about for months now today. But I, I did want to uh, mention, and see, the reason I thought about this is, might they fit into the solo scriptura, nuda scriptura type thing, but I don't think they'd have a high enough view of scripture uh, to even fit into that conversation, to be honest with you, when, when, they're, going, when they're saying stuff like this. Um, but one of the things I wanted to say, at the top of the hour, what I wanted to say was, we're not going to talk about all this stuff today, but uh, there's an article by, uh, I think it's James Sweat, um, at the G3 Ministry blog today. It was posted this morning. And uh, he does something a lot of other people have done, but it, it was really well presented. I had thought about using Bob Inc. Um, and maybe Voss and stuff to do some of this stuff, but um, I've really wanted to focus especially on biblical exegetical aspects. But um, there's an excellent article there about natural theology 
And he makes the strong argument uh, that whatever you do, along with Bob Inc., um, you have to start with the primacy of special revelation, of Scripture. The norm that norms all of the norms, the norma nomata. Um, and so he's, he's dead on in recognizing the direction you have to go and the authority issue that drives from what Scripture is as theanustos. It's, it's, uh, it's a good article. So I recommend it to folks. I retweeted it this morning and things like that, but I'd uh, recommend it to you. So I forgot to mention that um, 36 minutes ago. apologize for that. But this sort of reminded me of that. So here you've got uh, this going, and then we had this. So um, I disagree with them, but I'm not going to sit there and say that they are less Christian. Um, I believe they're wrong, but whatever. <laughs> uh, actually, we had them on uh, yeah. to uh, on a Torah debate, so whatever. Shout out to alternate media. All right. Alternate media. Alternate media is what... Um, he refers to, said, we, we had them on. We had Unitarians on. Now, it doesn't sound like they were debating the Unitarians, but we had them, we had them on. And so here are the uh, clips uh, that... Now, okay, that's part one, part two. Um, okay, that's the John 21. Okay, hold on a second. I, I know that I have it here, and I think I have it. Nope, that's not it. Oh, no, that's right. Here it is. You have to spin the mouse many times. So here's alternate media. I don't know these guys from Adam. Sorry. Uh, you know, if, if I, I suppose I probably should have contacted them and said, hey, I'm going to be responding to some of the stuff you said, but I didn't have that opportunity. Feel free to let them know if you happen to know who they are. Um, let me see. Uh, there we go. All right. Now, uh, when this first happened, I was sent some of these links, and I, I happened to just pop this up, and I was starting to just, you know how you'll jump through something? And I landed on their discussion of John 1.1. So um, let's... Take a listen to this, and then we'll do a little, a couple little sections. Because what Unitarians do? These men are Unitarians; they deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Unitarianism inevitably leads to a collapse of the supernatural level of the supernatural nature of Christianity. Unitarian uh, Universalism, uh, just just look historically. I don't believe that a Unitarian perspective can maintain the highest view of Scripture. And so we've dealt with Unitarians for a long, long time, and eventually what happens is they start questioning. And what we'll see in the other clips is they start questioning the historical validity of the Gospel of John's testimony to the deity of Christ. Because there's only a certain number of ways around John 20, 28. There really are, and they're, they all collapse upon examination. There's no question about that, as we will see. But I caught this section. I think I have it at the right spot. I hope I have it at the right spot, because that little slider down there is really, really small. But uh, here is a discussion of John 1.1. 1, 1. 
And so let's let's see if this doesn't sound familiar and respond a bit to it. Um, and you know what? You know what? Just for uh, yeah, for Trinitarian's sake. I'll pull out the absolute most Trinitarian version of the Bible that exists, the King James <laughs> yeah, it's version. It's funny, the, the Bible I'm holding now is still a... Um, and at the end of the day, um, the, the major standard translations are still some of the best translations on the market, hands down. Um, but primarily, all of them are oh, Trinitarian. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we, me and Brad will get in later on, I'm sure we'll discuss this, but we don't really have a problem with that. Um, and we'll get into why and, and everything as we do this, but yeah. Yeah, the, the truth behind Scripture gets through regardless of the inherent translational bias. Um, but the reason I say the KJV is the most Trinitarian uh, translation that exists is because it was very specifically translated with yeah. that in mind. Like the the purpose, one of the chief purposes behind the translation was to support the doctrine of the Trinity. I don't know where they get that. Um, that was, I mean, I suppose you know, Servetus uh, had had come along before the uh, before that and things like that. But um, I can I can think of at least two or three modern translations that are more consistently uh, usable. And in defense of the deity of Christ, for example, than the King James, not because the King James translators had any issues with it, but in one case, the rule of grammar hadn't been identified yet, and in other cases, they were just a little bit more Latin-friendly than, uh, than Greek-friendly in some things and stuff like that, but uh, interesting assertion anyway. Uh, so, <clears throat> beginning in John 1, uh, let's see. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God. Okay, so this is when it gets into the whole... Uh, yeah, John the Baptist narrative, and let's see, isn't it? It's like in verse fourteen, I think. Yeah, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Right. So, okay. Obviously, if you really want to hear the prologue of John's testimony to the deity of Christ, you can go to verse eighteen, which is the bookend of John one one. Uh, no one has seen God any time. The unique God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. So. I, point out that they're sort of stopping early but there you go yeah so there you go jesus uh, is god <laughs> it blatantly says it uh and for our greek scholars out there you know in rk and hologos kai hologos and pros um uh, pros ton theos kai theos uh kai theos and uh logos okay um i teach greek he doesn't know it, okay? The, the, the number of times that he pronounced the same vowel in a completely different way um, in saying NRK and Halagas, Kailagas, and Prasanthayan, Kaitheya, and Halagas was um, dead giveaway that we are not talking about uh, Greek scholars here 
or even Greek students here. Hologos, excuse me. Uh, the definite article is present. So, um, yeah, my Greek is not nearly as fluent as Hebrew, but I can still read it. And I know when to recognize definite articles and indefinite articles. Actually, Greek doesn't have indefinite articles. True. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, that I did not know actually. I don't read Greek at all. Man, a is the indefinite. Greek doesn't have that. It would just put man. Uh, mm -hmm. But it does have the definite. It's like ah. Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't have indefinite articles either. Um, so there is a little bit of similarity right. there, and that that actually is going to come up very importantly here in a second. But yeah, so in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God. Uh, rather, I should uh, allow me to translate this literally. Um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with the God, and God was the word. Um, or even, and divine was the word. It's just the word theos, and there's no definite article before the word theos. So it can be divine, it can be God, it can be uh, a number of things. Well... Okay, now, so uh, you will hear this kind of argumentation from Jehovah's Witnesses if they come to your doorstep and, and things like that, and, and they will... I've told the story many, many times that uh, many, many decades ago now, uh, it would have been in the 1980s, um, I was at a Christian's home, and the Jehovah's Witnesses had come over, and a Jehovah's Witness lady... Uh, went into about a, a four or five minute pre-memorized speech, might have been shorter than that, but it seemed like, uh, pre-memorized speech on the significance or lack of significance of the presence of the definite article in the third clause of John 1.1. And most people's eyes start rolling back in their heads and, and the like. And uh, we, we just sort of go well, okay, I'm not really going to get into this particular argument. But we, we need to. And, of course, in that situation, I was, I remember I was a second-year Greek student. So that would have put me in, that would have made it 1984, 85. Uh, so that actually nails it down as to about when it was. And I was sitting there, and I had the Nessialand 26th edition of the Greek New Testament in my hand. And, of course, they had their Kingdom in Linear translation. And... So I, uh, after she got done talking about the Greek article and so on and so forth, I, I handed it over to, I handed my Greek New Testament over to her and I said, could you show me a Greek article? And she didn't even know which way to hold the, hold the text because unlike hers, there's no English in mine. Um, and so she didn't even know what she was looking at. And yet the... The pre-memorized speech had sounded very impressive. And so it wasn't just that. I've also warned people, and I've told the story before. Around the same time, no, about three years later, I would say. No, 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 no. This would have been uh, five or six years later. I was asked to meet with some Jehovah's Witnesses over lunch with a friend of mine and this very knowledgeable and well-studied Jehovah's Witness showed up and uh, 
he started, we immediately got into it. And immediately he quoted one of the, the many passages in the New World Translation, which are mistranslated. And I challenged the translation. He said, oh, you, uh, you read Greek? And I said, uh, well, yes, I do. Oh, and he opens up his New World Translation to the back. And he takes out this little piece of paper from a, it was torn off of a yellow pad, you know, yellow pad of paper. So it had rough edges. And it was faded. So he had had it for quite some time. And he unfolded it and he slid it across the table to me. And he said, what does that say? And so written, there, there's two lines of Greek, handwritten, on the piece of paper. Now, without a context, it can be very difficult to read someone's handwritten Greek. Um, but... It was a fairly easily recognizable passage. He does, he, he's not going to be able to read, he's not going to be able to compose in Greek. So I expected that it was probably copied out of the Kingdom in Linear, which it was. And I looked at it and I said, well, you didn't quite write this letter right, but the rest of it says, let no one take you captive uh, with empty words. And he, his eyes got big, and he was absolutely astonished. And he said, I have carried that piece of paper around for at least 15 years. And I can't count how many people claimed to be able to read Greek. And when I got that out, you're the first person that it was ever able to read that. So if you're going to make the claim, you're ready to back it up. Now, the funny thing was, a few minutes later, I handed him a paper that I had written on historical dishonesty in the Watchtower Society um, and had my name on it. And he's like, you're James White? And I'm like, yes. And it turns out he is a Jehovah's Witness apologist, and he had heard me on the local. This is back when I was still doing stuff with Bob Mohan. And what was that shorter guy? Barry Young, Barry Young, yeah. Um, and so he'd hear me. and he, uh, well, that, yeah, Tom Likas was, was well before that. Um, and uh, uh, he wanted to do, as a Jehovah's Witness, what I do. <laughs> so it ended up being quite the interesting conversation. Uh, but anyways, uh, if you're going to say it, you know, back it up. Uh, be, ready to, be ready to go with it. and Because uh, uh, some of these folks will do that kind of thing. Anyway, um, these... The, the, the confidence that these people have in this type of argumentation, the, the issue is they're saying, well, you know, it could be a divine one or, you know, the lack of the definite article. Let me, let me show you something. Let me uh, throw uh, accordance over here just for the fun of it. And let, me, let me show you something. Here is John 1.1. 1, 1. Theos does not have an article uh, because you have uh, ain, the imperfect form of I, me. You have logos. If Theos had an article, here's your article, ha, logos. There is no ha before Theos. It's nominative in form. Logos is nominative in form. Uh, because of the form that we have here, if Theos 
had an article, then theos and logos would be interchangeable. But the anarthrous theos is placed before the verb, the verb of being, um, and it does not have the article. And that way it is differentiated. That's, what, that's how you know that logos is the subject and theos is not the subject. It's the word was God, not God was the word. Now, in, in English, we only know that by word order. But Greek is an inflected language, much more heavily inflected than English is. And so it uses case forms and uh, word order issues to communicate things. And in this case, the presence or the non-presence of the article. So again, if it said, kai ha theos ein ha logos, then logos and theos are interchangeable, and you would have some form of Sibelianism being taught at that, at that point. The vast majority of Greek scholars would say that theos is placed before the verb so as to be saying, and the word was deity. The word was, as to his nature, God. Because that's what the parallel down in, in verse 18 is going to tell you. Uh, the bookend down here in verse 18. Theon udais heoraken popate, monogenes theos, and one of the variant readings is ha monogenes theos, by the way. Haon aistan kalpon to patras ekainas exegesata. So no one has seen Theon. Please notice something. Theon in the accusative here does not have an article. So you would not translate, no one has seen a god. Um, it's no one has seen God. There's a specific God in mind, just as there is most of the times when Theos is being used. And <laughs> if you've seen the debate with the uh, folks from the Philippines, uh, uh, Iglesia and the Cristo, um, there is no meaning difference as far as the meaning of the word between Theos and Theon. <laughs> One is nominative, one's accusative, and uh, <clears throat> even though they've made an entire theology out of that. Anyways, uh, no one has seen God at any time. Monogenes theos, it's a textual variant, but the two earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John uh, and the two earliest unsealed manuscripts of the Gospel of John both have theos here. Um, the unique God, the one who is in the bosom of, of the Father, that one has exegeted him. He has made him known. He has explained him. Uh, this is the parallel to John 1.1. 1, 1. Their book ends. 1.1, 1, 1, 1, This is, you put them together. The one's restating the other. And when you see that, then the, the God that is being spoken of here, very clearly, is the Father. No one has seen God, that is the Father at any time, the monogenes who is the Logos made flesh, the one who is in the bosom of the Father, that one has exegeted him, that one has explained him. The reason we have true and accurate knowledge of the Father is because of the nature of the Son. And he is monogenes theos. He is the unique God. But let me point out something else here. If you're going to argue, as, as Unitarians do, that theos, without the article, is a God... Uh, then let's let's be consistent. Uh, we go down here to verse five. Again, anthropos, 
apestolamenos paratheou anima auto Ioannes. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and please notice, paratheou, theou, genitive form, uh, has no articles. So do you translate it uh, sent from a god? Or is there a specific god in, 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 in view here? Now, for those who take translating Greek seriously and translate passages other than John 1.1 1, 1 or John 8.58 or uh, John 20.28 20, and things like that, Unitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses especially, my experience with those who wander into the Greek area is those are the only texts that they can, they can look at. Drag them off into some narrative text in Paul or some historical section in the Gospel or something like that, and they have, don't, even, don't even know where to start because they don't actually read the text. They don't actually translate the text. Um, they're just going for the key text to make it sound like they know what they're talking about. So there is a man sent from a god. No. People who read the language know, okay, parathayu. Uh, very, very common when you have a preposition to have an anarthrous form. It's just sort of how Koine normally does it. And again, that could be something where different New Testament authors vary in their styles. So there is a, you know, ice top with the infinitive in, in Paul. Just all over the place. Um, uh, and, and Mark has euthus everywhere. And so there's, there's, there's Markan style, and there's Johannian style, and there's Pauline style, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so yeah, when you're, when you're serious about the language and you translate more than just the controversial stuff, you see stuff like this and go, oh, well, yeah, okay, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, and so he was in the world, came on his own. Uh, so then the word became flesh. Sarks againeta. Oh, here, uh, verse 13. But ek theu, but were born of God. No article. So they were born of a God. Who knows which God it was, but <laughs> no. And, and so as soon as, you know, I've a few times I've had the opportunity, only a few times I've had the opportunity in homes and things like that to actually force a Jehovah's Witness to look at their own kingdom and linear and say, well, let's go down a few verses here and let's apply your, if there's not an article, it's a God or it's something other than the true God that's being, and it falls apart instantaneously in the Gospel of John itself, because it's no one who reads the language is actually going to argue that way, uh, because they could never translate that way. Um, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, plural, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the monogenes, para, patras. Oh, patras doesn't have an article. From a father. Who, which father was it? We don't know. No, of course we know exactly what father is being. Full of grace and truth. And so just, just be aware uh, that the Unitarians uh, are out there and they, they throw their, their stuff out. We have done debates. We've done, you know, I, I did the unbelievable radio broadcast. Um, you can watch uh, Michael Brown and I uh, debating um, Sir Anthony Buzzard and Joseph Good. Uh, that, was, that was a good one. Um, we've... we've been around this bend a few times, uh, and uh, the arguments are, are pretty, pretty straightforward. So uh, there is that. Now, um, I am not ever going to get to the James White is teaching heresy stuff. 
having too much fun with more uh, useful stuff. But I have it queued up, but I've told you I was going to play you the other part of this. And so I, I do want to at least do this. And uh, and so there's there's that. And John is an incredibly mystical book, right? Part of the background of the whole Gospel of John. Okay, so this is the same program. But I think they have moved to John twenty twenty eight. Uh, Thomas answered and said to him, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And you, you, can, you can find out very, very quickly the depths to which a Unitarian will go to try to get around this text. Um, you can see some really entertaining, though sad, uh, attempts on the part of various uh, Muslims uh, many people to try to say is what Jesus was doing is uh, my Lord to Jesus and then my God to the Father or just my God. Um, problem being that both kurios uh, and theos are in the same form and so it's he said to Jesus ha kurios mu kai ha theos mu. Grammatically, syntactically, stylistically, he is saying my Lord and my God to one person, Jesus. Again, uh, Honest Greek readers know that. Dishonest heretics don't. That's a harsh way of putting it, but it's true. So I think they've gone to John chapter 20 at this point. Remember, these are the same guys that Will Hess is saying, oh, strong believers in in God. Uh, Interesting. Uh, So that's where they've gone here. It is not one of the synoptic gospels at all. And it's not historical, like at all. There's almost... It's not historical. Okay. Now, I'm used to hearing that from progressive leftist liberals who do not believe in the inspiration of Scripture, do not believe in the consistency and harmony of Scripture and stuff like that. But I've always found it very odd when people... If you, if you don't believe that what we have in Scripture is consistent with everything else in Scripture, and John certainly claims to quote-unquote be historical. He uses place names. He, he taught, we knew what the Pool of Bethesda looked like before it was discovered a couple decades ago and unearthed in Jerusalem. Why? Because John described it for us. Oh, that's not historical. He could have written this. It's just a, it was just a mystical place. No, they dug it out of the ground, and it's exactly how John described it. Don't give me this, it's not historical stuff. He gives us place names and locations and movements and everything else. And when in John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue Capernaum, we know where that is. And we know where they got in the boat from, and we know which direction they went across the lake, and we know where they landed. Don't tell me that's not historical. Is it different than the synoptics? Obviously. That doesn't make it ahistorical. The left likes to do that. And if you're going to promote heresy, like these guys do, then hey, go ahead and grab what you want. The problem is you're left with nothing. You're left with no consistent foundation for anything. That's why Unitarianism always creates this nebulous... It, it just flies apart because there's nothing to hold together. They, 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 can't, they can't accept what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is, and so you end up with all sorts of different perspectives and viewpoints. Almost. Like, if you take the skeleton, okay, of 
all of the synoptic gospels and the story of Jesus, right? Let's just take the basic outline of his life. Almost none of that skeleton is in John, right? From the, in the synoptic. You think that might be because John already knew about the synoptic, so he wasn't trying to repeat himself? So you have to have the four of them trying to do the same thing, even though Mark clearly isn't trying to do the same thing that, that Matthew's doing, so there's even differences you have to recognize in any meaningful synoptic study. Synoptics, you know, him, uh, a lot of his teachings, a lot of the things that he does, um, they're almost not there. John is like the black sheep of the family, just, it's a completely different set of, of record. Uh, it's not multiply attested. It's incredibly mystical. It's really late in its writing, and it doesn't even attempt to be a historical recording of Jesus' life. It seems to be more like uh, a a record of theology, a way of thinking, but written in the way that history was written pretty commonly back then. Um, basically, a lot of what's said in John that is attributed to as though Jesus said it himself, it's likely he didn't say those things verbatim like that, um, but rather from John's perspective, right. that's what he meant to say. And so he records what he got out of. So again, this, sadly, this is the kind of description of John that you will get going almost anywhere these days, with only a few exceptions. Um, believing... Um, seminaries and Bible colleges uh, will interact with this kind of stuff. The non-believing ones will not interact with our responses. But you'll get this in, in you know, just, just all over the place. I certainly did in, in seminary and didn't enjoy it at the time, but in hindsight, we now know why I had to go through these things. But this is, this is how... I'm not going to waste any more time. I mean, we could. We could go through the rest of it, and I, and I had it. But uh, this is what people have to do to get around what you have in John twenty twenty eight. Now, uh, I had I did I remember preaching a sermon series uh, a number of years ago. The testimony to the deity of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, because Mark has the lowest Christology, baloney. Well, that's the Italian for baloney. Um, and um, so all of the Gospels testify to the deity of Christ very plainly. But John is so clear that this is where you're going to hear this kind of, you know, it's, it's a spiritual Gospel, you see. And so Jesus probably never really said these words, uh, you know, and, and, and Thomas probably never really said, my Lord and my God. And, 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 and this, is, this is how you, you break the Scripture up, because you don't believe it. You don't believe what it was meant to communicate to its original, original audience. Uh, and it's, it's what Unitarianism is all about, and it's, it's sad. I would have to go uh, for a, uh, a jumbo today uh, if, if we were going to get to uh, the rest. And uh, I, I just need to make... See, stuff happens. I, I predict that stuff may happen this weekend. There's stuff happening in the Valley of the Sun here in Phoenix, right over that way. <laughs> about, about 20 miles, I'd say, about that direction. There's stuff going on right now. Um, there's a conference going on that I spoke at in 2015. 
and now I'm probably being talked about in 2022. How seven years will change things. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, so who knows what will be around on Tuesday, uh, but I will just simply have to prioritize and get to it because I've said twice now I was going to get around to responding to the errors in the accusation of teaching of heresy by someone who started off his article saying that I used to be his favorite theologian. Uh, it's, it's great when, when, uh, when, the, when the kids grow up and uh, figure, figure stuff out. Anyway, so we will get to it, but um, I wanted to cover these things today with sufficient uh, uh, depth uh, to be able to make it all work for you folks today. Uh, and it's a, it's a hot one. It's, what's, what's the high supposed to be, 114 today? One, 116 tomorrow, I think. So, by the way, switch once you keep going. And uh, I want to remind you that Twitch has, you know what, like YouTube, four hours of their maximum. Twitch? Uh huh. 48 hours on Twitch. That's because there are some people who play video games for 48 hours in so a row. Oh, you got lots of time. I got lots of time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for watching the program today. Uh, Like I said, we will, uh, Lord willing, see you again next week. God bless.